everyone, welcome back to QSR Nation, your go-to source for food service marketing and business strategies for success. Welcome back to QSR Nation. Today we have Josh, Grant, and Beth coming from the PFS Brands National Headquarters in Holtzone, Missouri to talk about food service marketing and business strategies for success. Today, Tony is a little under the weather. I don't think it's like the Rona, but he's just not feeling well today, so he's out today. He's being safe. Yeah, we'll yeah. try to carry on without him. Yeah. Um, but today we're really excited. <laughs> we have uh, Lance Growlick with Ion Franchising here joining us on the line, so welcome, Lance. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me, everyone. Sorry Tony is not here, but the best of the bunch has joined us, so uh, I'm happy. Uh, yeah, I hope he's listening. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I really hope so as well. Um, so, yeah, Lance, we heard you started out on Wall Street and somehow managed to end up in the world of franchising. So, um, do you just want to give a little story about your background and how you got to where you are? Uh, absolutely. So, uh, once again, thanks for having me. Um, you know, I grew up in New York, so uh, Dad was on Wall Street, but I'm going to back the story up a couple of couple of feet, so to speak, or a couple of years, uh, I grew up in an entrepreneurial family. Uh, both of my grandfathers were incredibly entrepreneurial. And, uh, and one of them, I barely understood anything he ever said. He was a Polish immigrant that was very difficult to understand and built a, a chain of supermarkets throughout Brooklyn and, and Queens for a period of about almost 35 years. So growing up entrepreneurial, uh, the question always becomes uh, nature versus nurture. Are, are entrepreneurs born that way, or uh, did their environment, you know, make them the way they are today? And in my case, I always knew I was going to be an entrepreneur watching my grandfathers and then watching my dad work with my grandfathers, and uh, or spe especially uh, one grandfather in the grocery business. And, you know, as I grew up, I realized Dad was on Wall Street. Dad was a partner in, a, in the largest over-the-counter trading house on Wall Street way back when. So I thought, you know, I have an economics sort of brain, a finance brain. I'm going to follow Dad into, into his business. And as I got older and was coming through high school and then college, I started realizing that I needed a little more people in my life, so to speak. Uh, I, I needed to be around people. I didn't want to be in an office in New York City in the concrete jungle for the rest of my life. And, uh, you know, after doing it just out of college and throughout high school, I, I realized, you know what, I, I'm going to look for greener pastures. And just then, uh, my uncle called me and simply said, you know, I, I have an opportunity with my best friend, who I now have always called my pseudo-uncle, my adopted uncle, through my uncle, <laughs> and he was uh, the largest franchisee of TGI Fridays, oh. and he's the one that lured me in 1989. I was about a year out of college and said, you know, come live with me in Scottsdale, Arizona, and uh, help me build this at the time. He had just bought four TGI Fridays restaurants. He made his money in tech before most people even knew about tech, uh, if you could imagine that. You know, when, when uh, phones were analog and they went digital uh, a long time ago, he made a lot of money. So he wanted to build a billion dollar restaurant company and that's when I joined him. And uh, he lured me there and guess what? I started off as a host at TGI Fridays <laughs> in Arizona. 
from Wall Street, you to, from Wall Street, Wall Street to, to a host. host right? yeah. <laughs> well, needless to say, I was fast-tracked, got in the management training program, which was absolutely incredible in those days. Friday's was incredible. And uh, we don't have enough time to go through, well, what happened to TGI Fridays, but I was there five years. I helped them with uh, everything. In the beginning, obviously, I was, I was useless because I was getting my feet wet. Uh, I did work in restaurants and bars throughout college and had a tremendous experience. Did get my economics degree, but I was brand new to the franchise world. But, you know, I'd like to say after five years, I really got my, my uh, fast-track MBA uh, in, 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 in working in this environment. So uh, here I am today. So uh, awesome. <laughs> I'll let you guys take over from here. That's a really good story, yeah. though, yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Beth. <laughs> so I know you got started then with – so TGI Fridays was your first experience in the world of um, QSRs and franchises and all that. Um, I know as you moved along in your career – did you get to work with any others? And if so, what has been the, your favorite franchise brand you've worked with to this point? Well, uh, you know, I've worked with plenty. I mean, remember uh, Kenny Rogers Roasters? Oh. It was around within the Boston market days. And uh, anyway, I was in the chicken business quite a few times. Uh, you know, look, I knew because I was going to be an entrepreneur I had to find my way, and I kept taking job after job in the industry to really perfect my craft, if you will. And uh, I ended up as a franchisee. Well, let me back up I'm, before I give you the big reveal and all this. <laughs> I, 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 uh, I ended up at Fatburger Corporation. You know Fatburger? I think I've heard of that. Fatburger is a legendary brand on the West Coast. Okay. Uh, you know, In-N-Out in 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 out started in 1948. Fatburger started in 1952. Okay. And, uh, and, and Fatburger, when I joined them, there was a new ownership team. Magic Johnson was a partner. Uh, David Spade, the actor, and Janet Jackson. Those were a few of them. And their, their manager was the one that was the common... Uh, thread that you know got them to invest in Fatburger, and I was the head of operations there. Um, I'd been a food and beverage director at casinos in Las Vegas. I started up a, a big a big casino, but you know after all of that, I said, you know, how am I going to do my own thing? I want I want equity. I want to be right. the boss. Yeah. And uh, a family friend called one day and said, Hey, I have an opportunity at Krispy Kreme. I said, well, Krispy Kreme, I heard of it, but I don't know much about it. And this was like 25 years ago, well, 20 years ago now or so. And Krispy Kreme was the, uh, we were the second franchisee of Krispy Kreme in the United States. And in, in Nevada, we had the state of Nevada and Utah. And again, that's a deep story. But, you know, through my skills and my, uh, you know, experience, um, you know, I, I, I guess I attracted people, the right opportunities, and certainly the wrong opportunities and the wrong partners, which we'll get to. <laughs> but needless, to needless to say, Krispy Kreme was an incredible experience. I made a lot of money. I had a nice piece of the action, and I helped build that from virtually nothing to uh, $25 million in revenue uh, across two states, and, uh, and that was a blast. Later, I ended up being a Wingstop franchisee. Um, I, I did Wingstop before most people even knew about Wingstop. And, uh, you know, Wingstop's average unit volume in the day I joined them was 600000 which was not exciting. And, and today they're a powerhouse uh, brand. But I became president of the Franchise Advisory Council, elected by my peers, 
Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, I'd like to say I'm in the top 1% of all franchisees between Krispy Kreme and, and, and Wingstop. And, you know, I have a different uh, sort of set of guiding principles that helps me achieve success in franchising. And, you know, and then through all those things, I parlayed my skills into franchise development and really helping young emerging brands achieve success like Krispy Kreme and Wingstop. Uh, not only on the operations side, but growing through uh, attracting uh, and retaining the right franchisees. And today I represent more franchise brands than anybody in the United States. Hmm. About 170, 580 restaurant brands, and, and, and the balance is, is, you know, everything else, so to speak. Wow, that's awesome. Those are some good. Those are some good brands. I, yeah. I will say, like, uh, so Krispy Kreme, uh, Krispy Kreme holds a close place in my heart because back in the day, I was uh, so we're in Jeff City, Missouri. Here, we're about three hours from Kansas City, and I was a Royals fan and Cardinals country here. But uh, we used to go up to uh, Kansas City for Royals games, and they had a promotion with Krispy Kreme that if the Royals had twelve hits in a baseball game. Which was that's quite Never a, that's quite the, that's quite the feat for Royals back in the early two thousand. And, uh, <laughs> and it's it never failed. It seemed like every time we would go, we would hit the right night when they'd have like a big night, and they would have twelve hits, and then you could go redeem your ticket for a free dozen of Krispy Kreme donuts, and they were so good. There was even one time we went up the next day back to Kansas City. Like, it was a summer trip, but we went back up the next day just to get you know twelve Krispy Kreme donuts. It was that's a fascinating. Awesome. That's a very uh, wonderful. Well, Grant is very passionate about food in general, but especially donuts and cookies. You, you intertwine well, sweets and uh, sports. It's it's an well, you'll thing. you'll be ha- you'll be happy to know. You know, I created a burger concept in Vegas, and after I created that very successful burger concept and sold it, I uh, I then got approached by somebody to create a donut shop in Vegas, and that was a brand called Pink Box Donuts, which has now become famous in Vegas. And I created that. That was the first official gourmet donut shop in Vegas. And then from there, recently I got approached as my non-compete expired. I got approached by a group, uh, a Food Network star who had had won various baking competitions to create another donut concept in Vegas. So I I can't get away from the sweets, guys. I don't know what it is. Well, I'm a fan of the or of all of the baking championship shows. So uh, if you just want to let me like test them out, I would be more than happy to help you on that one. Well, you have to come to Vegas. You have to not be afraid to fly. Oh during man, these crazy well, times are in. you know, I'll, I'll <laughs> suck we'll, it up. We'll I'll, we'll yeah, we'll you know what? Out. I will. I'll make that sacrifice for the team if it's for donuts. So it's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So I have a question for you. So, what are some of the reasons that you would rather buy a franchise today versus starting your own business? Well, that's, that's an easy one. In the franchise world, you know, depending on an emerging, whether you're getting involved with an emerging brand, which is, you know, typically under, under 10 locations or a much larger brand, either way, there's some semblance of a proven system. There's some sort of brand awareness, even if, even if it might just simply be uh, local or regional awareness. Uh, there's going to be a, an established training program for franchisees. There's going to be ongoing support and mentoring. There's certainly some sort of buying power or vendor relationships. Uh, Believe it or not, when you sell, uh, you can exit much more easily and cleanly 
if that's a word, in the franchise <laughs> world. Um, you know, franchisors are responsible for doing research and development, providing updates to the brand, whether it's, you know, standard operating procedures or new menu items and what have you. Certainly established marketing and advertising and PR support as well. So off the top of my head, those are some of the reasons you would absolutely buy a franchise versus flying by the seat of your pants, even if you have a good business plan in starting your own concept, it's still an unknown. And many things go wrong when nobody's ever heard your name before. Right, just all the support that franchises can provide is pretty invaluable, I guess is what you're trying to say. <laughs> exactly, and, and not to mention that a, a good new prospective franchisee, he or she goes in, we hope, at least the people that I work with, go in with their eyes open. And if they're not paying attention to certain things, I say, hey, look over here, check this out. You know, I, have, I had a nurse that I spoke to yesterday that I've been talking to for months that's looking at, at these hot wellness brands that are basically IV infusion type brands. And she likes one in particular of the three that I have. And I, I said to her, I said, look, I'm a little nervous because this brand that you like that I showed you is growing way too fast. And I don't think the support is at the level that it should be for all their new franchisees. I think they're getting a little overwhelmed and I don't want you to be caught behind that wave, if you will. Um, also in franchising, there's a whole step called validation where prospective franchisees have an opportunity where, you know, hey Beth, you're in the final stages. Here's a list of franchisees. I need you to call five franchisees from this list and ask them about their experience with this particular brand. And all good brands ensure that a prospective franchisee are calling existing franchisees to hear how their experience is. And, and you know, it, it's a kind of a good fit as a, any two-way street would be. Does Beth see herself as one of those prospective, of those new franchisees based on her conversation? Does she see herself and the people that she's talking to? Or are these people just not like she is? And should she just look at another brand? So yeah. there's yeah, there's right, definitely right. an amazing system in, in, in picking the right franchise. Yeah, that's a good point. I've never thought about putting that sort of research into it. Yeah, but, but yeah, getting some input from other people that have actually been with the franchise is definitely yeah. good advice for someone that's considering it. Absolutely. Yeah, and as you mentioned earlier, you know, a franchise can help you kind of go through some some turmoil, some um, turbulent times. In 2020, we've seen a ton of that with COVID-19, obviously. Um, many locations are forced to shut down. Um, are you seeing any new opportunities for restaurant restaurateurs out there in terms of, um, you know, new government incentive programs or just anything in general that can help them as they get started? Well, you know, the reality is uh, there's been a lot of independent restaurants that have gotten hurt. Uh, certainly some franchises. Uh, in most cases, as, as you guys are probably aware, you know, QSR and anything with a drive-through, um, anything with a major amount of takeout. So if, if a business, like, like a Wingstop, as an example, was unscathed going through the pandemic um, because they were set up for success, whether they knew a pandemic was coming or not, you know, they already did 50% of their business from takeout or delivery or what have you. So when the pandemic hit, it didn't, it wasn't much of a change. They just did even more business takeout and delivery and their customers that would dine in are now no longer doing that. And uh, so look, 
Yes, unfortunately, it's quite sad. There's a lot of independent restaurants that have gotten hurt. They didn't have the support of a franchise structure. They, you know, franchise brands, many of them joined together, called their attorney, called their CPAs, and said, how do we help our franchisees? I hear about this PPP money. I hear about this economic, you know, impact or disaster relief fund that's available. And I have quite a few brands that rallied around their franchisees and got them all money to to help them, where sadly independents were left out in the cold to fend for themselves. So the reality is who got hurt through 2020 in the restaurant business were the big box players that were paying, you know, a lot of money in rent, a lot of square footage. And, uh, you know, let's see what the government does next. You know, we have an election coming up. But I'm still not giving up hope that restaurants might get some additional bailout funds coming up. Uh, can't promise that. Um, but, you know, new opportunities are anybody that's looking at technology, those are the new opportunities. How do you help those restaurants continue to increase their revenue and, and, and decrease expenses? And, and technology continues to help uh, on the whether it's getting with delivery aggregators as much as I don't like them and I don't like the nice chunk of their business that they take from you. But look, you got to work within your physical plant at a restaurant, right? Yeah. You yeah. can't just add a drive through where there wasn't necessarily a drive through. It doesn't really happen. <laughs> so, uh, but I do think, you know, look, in the, in the franchise world, uh, restaurants are selling. Restaurants are always popular in franchising and, and that's still the case. People are just buying these smaller restaurant concepts, the right. typical fast casual restaurants, or something that has a drive-through. Yeah, I have quite a few franchises that you never heard of that are doing incredible business right now um, because they're they're set up for success through the pandemic. It could call it luck, call it strategy, whatever you <laughs> whatever you wish. But restaurants are certainly not dead by no stretch. Um, that you know. Still good things coming. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and I mean, especially with 2020, I mean, this is going to be the way of the future. I mean, people are not going to turn back and not want to have these convenient options anymore, especially when it comes to touchless items. So, I mean, this is something that even if you are looking to open up a franchise or start your own business just in general, you have to keep all this stuff in mind because that is the way of society now. I mean, we've had a taste of it and now we want to make sure that we're keeping that kind of options available. That's absolutely true, Beth. You know, and look, the experience that every family or couple or whoever going out to dinner is not going to be gone forever. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but, you know, I'm in Las Vegas and my family, we're still going out to eat. Um, sadly, most of us had the virus already, so uh, we've gotten over it quickly. Thankfully, we're all healthy. And uh, But, you know, we're, we we got to go out. We want to support, support our local restaurants. We want to you know, get out and have some fun. And sure, we're socially distant. We're, you know, separated by an empty table between us. We're wearing our masks, coming and going. Kind of feel like the alcohol that I drink uh, at happy hour helps me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think of it. Uh, yeah. That. yeah. <laughs> no, I agree. Like, I know some of these trends are, of course, of course, going to 
hang on, but I, for one, can't wait to get back to normal and being able to go out and grab a drink, grab dinner with friends or family or whatever. I, that's something, like you said, it's not going to go away. And I'm, yeah. I can't wait till it comes back to the real normal. Yeah. <laughs> How come you never invite us to dinner? Yeah. Oh, that's because... Well, any, any, any time, guys. Hey, let me, let me add one thing we're talking, while we're talking about technology. I do uh, quite a bit of consulting for private equity groups on the restaurant sector. And one of the things that came up before the pandemic... We were, we were talking about Shake Shack, and while I love the Shake Shack brand, and I am a former New Yorker and a fan of Danny Meyer that, that created Shake Shack, um, they were like Starbucks. If you guys remember, Starbucks in the early days made a conscious decision that they wanted to be a destination. They don't want to be a convenience in the early days of Starbucks. They didn't want to have drive throughs They wanted everybody to come inside of Starbucks to experience the service, the smile of the barista that called out your name on the cup, usually wrong, by the way, right? Yeah, <laughs> nobody would, you know. But nevertheless, <laughs> nevertheless, that was their choice. Similar, and then eventually they realized, as they were especially publicly traded, that they needed more revenue, and, and why not be a convenience and open up drive-throughs and drive sales through that drive-through window? So Shake Shack, in my opinion, uh, while they're growing and we're doing fantastic prior to the pandemic, they made a decision prior to the pandemic. They were also going to be uh, a destination. People would come inside. You would have the experience. You'd have the nice dining rooms. They weren't the hard plastic dining rooms like you'd seen fast food joints in the past. They were comfortable. They were, you know, again, great service. But the pandemic hit. Now, one of the conversations prior to the pandemic about Shake Shack was they weren't focused on delivery. You know, they just had done a deal with Grubhub and, and, and knocked out all the other delivery concepts. They just were doing that with Grubhub, period. They weren't doing what a lot of other brands would do uh, by getting involved in others. So I, I think they've learned a, a valuable lesson that they need to adapt to thrive in scenarios where we are today. You know, you're going to have to embrace some sort of delivery, whether you're doing it yourself and focus on it, because clearly Shake Shack is not getting their bite of the apple, if you will, by getting, you know, 40 percent of their business through through takeout and delivery. I mean, maybe now they are because <laughs> because of where we are, but they weren't prior to it. So uh, just an example for you guys. Yeah. 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 And this is actually a great segue to my next question, which um, we've kind of already hit on a little bit with like drive throughs. Um, but. My question is, what would you say are the most popular franchise categories available um, today? And it could be, you know, we talked about drive-throughs or like maybe, you know, types of uh, products that are, um, I guess, pandemic-proof, kind of like pizza, because pizza is already built for delivery yep. and built on that. So is, is there any other um, franchise categories you think that are going to evolve um, in the next year or so? Well, let's, uh, let's cover it. Uh, let's talk about food first, like you just said, and that's what you guys uh, love to talk about. Um, <laughs> you know, li Little Caesars. Have you guys been to a Little Caesars lately and seen the, have you seen the pizza portal they created? Genius. Absolute genius. They're doing like the, and, it's like the lockbox, isn't yeah. it almost? Okay, yeah. It, it is. It is. They have an easy online ordering platform. Uh, very simple online ordering platform. Don't have to talk to anybody. And, and then you walk into the store. Once again, don't have to talk to anybody. You simply enter your code in their, in their giant pizza portal 
and the window opens and you and you take your pizza. Amazing, amazing that they've gone to such great lengths to uh, understand trends. And that was prior to the pandemic. They were working on it, and uh, they've accomplished it. And there was a line of people the other night just going into the portal. And look, I, I'm not a, I'm not a, I guess I'm somewhat of a fan of their pizza. I'm a New Yorker, so I like great pizza as well. I think for their, for their money, for the money, their pizza is good. But, you know, fast casual, the family certainly likes that pizza. But fast casual business, QSR, is hot. It's not going away. It's convenient. Um, so it's a no-brainer. Just went to Popeye's the other day, as a matter of fact, and, uh, you know, great, uh, <laughs> a great fried chicken through the drive-thru. But, Look, anything in in the home repair segment today, um, you know, whether you want to redo your floors, uh, window coverings, closets, countertops, HVAC, or roof needs repair, anything for your home right now is hot in franchising. Everybody's home still. It seems like everybody's still home. Senior services, home care, essential businesses like automotive franchises. And a lot of these franchises have already, you know, done their technological advancements so they can beat out the mom and pops. The mom and pops can't afford to put in the latest automation um, that franchise auto shops can. Um, All kinds of home improvement, I mentioned. Um, Business to business or business services. (coughs) Excuse me. Very hot. B2B with technology whether it's stuff through Zoom today that they used to do face-to-face. You know, things to be cautious of today, obviously, retail, gyms. Um, Gyms will be great again at some point, but right now, a little bit tricky. There's still people scared to go to a gym, right? Mm -hmm. Yep, exactly. Yeah. The large-format restaurants, office-related stuff, you know, even though commercial cleaning is always hot, the question of what's going to happen to offices when this is all over now that so many people are working from home. Right. Those are all definitely um, good uh, good points about the franchises that are going to see an uptick. Um, one that just popped in my head, one that I noticed last week actually was um, kind of on the topic of ghost kitchens. Um, and this is associated with like third-party delivery because I got on the third-party delivery here in Jeff City, Missouri, in this area, got on one of the apps, and I found a ghost kitchen that I didn't even know existed you know because they don't actually have a store facing (laughs) um, real real store whatever (laughs) but i was like there's a new restaurant in jeff city missouri i was like wow (laughs) but do you see any of those like is that evolving quite a bit too or have you had any experience Uh, with that absolutely 100 percent. as a matter of fact i'm supposed to have a meeting with a gentleman that's doing a lot of that in las vegas right now so i should have mentioned that ghost kitchens are incredibly hot why because you're not dealing with the retail and, and you're not you're not paying the full retail rate. Typically, ghost kitchens are sort of sort of hidden from view in most cases. Set up near a freeway access, so you can get anywhere in, in no time. But you're paying uh, much lower rent. You're paying you know essentially warehouse rent versus uh, full rack retail where uh, maybe a Starbucks would sit. So uh, and they're hot. And a lot of these ghost kitchens have multiple brands in them. So, you know, you, you don't even know, you could be seeing a clever advertisement on Facebook uh, or Instagram and, and it advertises this amazing looking food and it could be the same food, three different brands coming yeah. out of one kitchen, yeah. yep. you know, 
uh, underneath the freeway somewhere, and, and, a, and a whole bunch of drivers are lined up just to take the yummy food to uh, to all of us. So ghost kitchens are very hot. I even have a ghost kitchen franchise. Just that topic in general is very interesting. Yeah, <laughs> we might have to bring you back Absolutely. on here just for ghost kitchens. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it really is a great, unique topic because when when the DoorDashes and the Grubhubs and the Uber Eats of the world popped up uh, and, and are still going nice and strong, um, you know, look, they're looking to deliver anything from anywhere, and uh, the ghost kitchen world uh, has has arrived. Um, it absolutely has arrived, and it's uh, there's a lot more to come with that for sure. So I just have a question. What do you see more evolving with the third-party delivery? Like You gave us a little bit of your opinions on what your thoughts were of them, but do you see those evolving more with larger franchises, or do you see them going away with franchises maybe per, like maybe offering their own delivery services to try and cut back on some of those fees? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think in a lot of cases, um, all the brands begrudgingly, every brand is, has had to embrace these delivery aggregators, as I think they're usually called these days. And uh, so I don't see them going away, but like a lot of things that come out, you know, it's kind of like uh, it's commodity world we live in. You know, when that when the 65-inch TV first came out, it was really expensive, right? And now it's certainly much cheaper as the next biggest TV has come out. I think in the delivery world, I, I, I think the, the prices – or the percentages and the commissions, as they call them, have gotten more competitive. Um, and I think they'll continue to get competitive uh, as things, you know, as more competition comes out, as better technology comes out. Um, because at the end of the day, the, the, the notion of why all these restaurants do delivery and the model is supposed to be like this. It's supposed to be, well, you already have cooks. You already have staff. So... To deliver, we're going to deliver, we're going to take a percentage, so it should be no incremental labor, so it's just food costs for you. That's, that's the plan, is, is what they lay out to all these businesses. Right. The, reality is, the reality is when you're doing so much in delivery, um, it does take a nice bite from your profitability, uh, especially for brands that don't have uh, a great food cost to begin with. I mean, you know, everybody's squeezing margins, and, and food costs have gone up dramatically, as we all know. So yeah. because of that, you have less and less margin. So I, I do think some big things are coming in the next 12 months with delivery. I see new competitors on the horizon, um, and I do see uh, – I don't ever see restaurants choosing to do too much of their own delivery. There's an awful lot of liability. There's, hiring is always difficult. So especially when you're competing with the Grubhubs and the DoorDashes of the world and the Uber Eats of the world. Right. And that's the thing. It is, it's so competitive in that third-party space. I wonder. It'd be interesting to see if one of them takes the lead. You know, who will be of them, which one will be the, the Google of the third-party deliveries and kind of win that race. So it'd be interesting to see if that happens or if it stays like this where it's really sad. That, that's exactly right. That's exactly my expectation. Someone really... You know, right now there's a lot of national players. Some are stronger regionally. Some have different standards where DoorDash, off the top of my head, I don't know if it's changed, but DoorDash certainly has a tighter delivery radius. They're not going to pick up like 10 orders and try to get them all delivered before they get cold. They'll, they'll keep a tighter delivery radius and pick up less food. 
um, that's a positive for them. So, uh, yeah, we're going to see how it all shakes out soon enough. Right. Interesting. Okay, so Lance, now we get to the part where we think everyone has a lot more fun because it's, you know, not just business. But we like to talk about the quick three questions that we always ask everyone. And so um, the first question we wanted to ask you is, what is the one marketing or business trend that you think will be important in the upcoming year? All about technology. So check your technology regardless of what business you're in. And if you're not making things easy for your customer, you are missing the boat. All right, question number two. Um, what is, is there one marketing or business book that you've read recently or are planning to read that you would recommend? You know, it's an oldie but a goodie, and I was rereading The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell. In fact, I have it right next to me. And, uh, you know, it's all about ideas and trends and, you know, products. Basically, it's interesting because when I cracked it open, I completely forgot that he talks about how ideas and products and messages and behaviors spread just like viruses do. <laughs> and, and I was like, wow, that's really appropriate that I open this book again. But that's Ma Malcolm, Malcolm Gladwell. It's, uh, it's really on point for today. And it's, a, it's just a fantastic book, The Tipping Point. Awesome, okay. And then, so what is one piece of advice that you would give someone thinking about starting their own franchise? My favorite expression, resource up. You know, when you, when you get into a franchise, it's about modeling success. And when you resource up, you get a guy like me who represents more franchise brands than anybody that's been a franchisee. I'm going to guide you right. You pay me nothing. I'm absolutely free. I get paid by the brands. And I can help you whether you're looking for a franchise today are you looking for a franchise three years from now? Some people take the slow road. There's nothing wrong with that. And I can help you with it all. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. for sure. No, um, we appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. And uh, as we kind of wrap things up here, do you want to talk a little more about Ion Franchising and how we can and how any listeners can actually reach out to you and get connected with you? Well, I love talking about Ion Franchising. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, as Ion Franchising, my website ionfranchising.com so reach out don't hesitate and uh, i'm happy to help that's awesome. awesome no we really appreciate you taking the time to come talk to us today it's been a good time well thank you for having me we'll have to do a round two at some point yeah, we'll exactly. have to. Um, how, do you, how do you pronounce your uh, last name one more time for our listeners oh there you go <laughs> growlick growl like a bear lick like a lollipop <laughs> your brain forever I just, I just had to hear that again that's yeah. all <laughs> Thank you guys. It's been my pleasure. It's been a good time. Uh, Beth, do you want to cover our social channels? Definitely. So if you're interested in listening to any of our podcasts, you can always visit qsrnationpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at QSR Nation. And be sure to follow us. You can check out all of our uh, different videos that we have going up there. Obviously, all of our other previous podcasts. And then we will be launching this one with Lance very shortly. Yeah, so uh, Lance, once again, thank you. Um, hopefully we have Tony in next time we talk to you guys. And um, for Grant, Beth, Lance, and Josh, we'll talk to you next time. Be sure to join us again for the next episode of QSR Nation.